Hello, everyone. This is Michael Banks, and I am the host of the podcast series, The Heroic Journeys of Those Who Go From Crisis to Transformation. And today, my guest is Dave, David Mudrick. And David uh, is a civil engineer by education. He lives, he's American, he lives in Phoenix, Arizona. And he's an entrepreneur who built a, an Inc. 500 company one of the fastest growing companies in the United States uh, in 2009. He still owns a business, but he's become a podcaster who wants to help others learn the skills to be successful. So um, I asked uh, Dave uh, a couple, do you mind if I call you Dave, David? Dave or David, either one's fine. Don't mind. Okay, because I hate being called Mike. I really do. <laughs> <laughs> Especially when I introduce myself as Michael and then people say, oh, hi, Mike. <laughs> yeah, my mom always calls me David, so, you know, she's oh, yeah. like, well, that's the name I gave you, so <laughs> a lot of people like the nickname. Okay. All right. Well, I'll uh, see where we go with it. <laughs> Not that it's the most important thing about this podcast. Uh, so what would, what would you most like me and the audience to know about yourself? Well, I think... Uh, you know, I think I had somewhat normal life, a normal middle-class life. I was, I uh, went to Catholic uh, elementary school, uh, so fairly strict, really strict uh, discipline, and uh, went on to college, became a civil engineer, and after about 15 years, wasn't real happy with that and decided to start my own business, so kind of started my own business. Uh, out of my basement and my garage, and it was most of my house at some point before I decided I had to move out of the house. Classic entrepreneurial stuff, eh? Yeah, yeah. And I think I was an, I was an entrepreneur when I was a teenager, but I didn't really, I didn't know the word. I'm not sure entrepreneur was a word in the 60s. I don't know, but, you know, I asked my dad for money, and he said, well, go out and get a job if you need some money. So, I guess that was the start of my entrepreneurship was, uh, okay, I'm going to go, you know, I want to buy tools. I want to buy a car. So I just, uh, and I couldn't work at age 15. So I kind of started my own lawn cutting business and clean stores and windows for store owners and just anything I could do to make money. So I guess I was, you know, kind of an entrepreneur. And then, um, you, uh, one of the things that struck me in, in talking to you uh, previously is about the fact that you, uh, you, know, you actually made quite a lot of money, but the, the realization was that you uh, didn't necessarily bring you happiness in the end. Yeah, I mean, I think my goal all along was just really money-driven. I mean, I really, when I was uh, working as a civil engineer for the uh, federal government. Uh, I was inspecting dams. Uh, I liked the job, but it didn't really matter whether I worked harder or did a better job. Like it just had to do with how long you were there. The longer you were there, the more money you made. And that just always bothered me. So I said, well, if I have my own business, I'll be in control of how much money I can make. So uh, that was okay. And, uh, you know, and I built this business and, you know, got some luck along the way. I had a product that was just really hot and uh, we doubled our sales like three years in a row. What was so, the product? Um, well, uh, the business is in uh, souvenirs, like tourists. So we sell to tourist accounts. 
big accounts like Disney, Statue of Liberty, and all the way down to mom and pop kind of shops like beach stores. And so we had a, a solar powered uh, flashing keychain, uh, which we sold like I think 23 million pieces of so far. Wow. Well, what, it, what we sold is uh, they're, they're personalized name programs. So it's a big rack. You go into a national park and there'll be a big rack and it'll have 400 names on it. So it'll say Michael on one side of the keychain. It flashes your name. On the other side, it'll say Grand Canyon. So that product just, because it was something unique, it wasn't just a keychain or a pen or something static. It was actually doing something, just really like propelled it. Okay, and so you did, I mean, those, those figures are amazing. I mean, 23 million just for one product. So obviously, yeah, you were doing very well. But then um, you had something occurred in your life. I suppose you could call it an aha moment uh, or, you know, the old cliche of the light bulb going off. Um, but what changed you uh, in that aha moment uh, in a very significant way? What was that moment or period in your life? Well, I probably ought to tell you a little bit about how I got to the point where I could have the aha moment. Sure. Um, so, I mean, looking back, I never really had any major failures in my life or any major problems. Uh, you know, I never had anyone close to me die. I never, uh, I never had any really problems in business that were giant. I mean, I just kept thinking, I work harder, I work more, I can fight through anything. And so when I'm on the top and it's successful, okay, 2009, everybody knows what happened that the world economy, right? So all of a sudden, my sales go down by 50%. Okay, I'm not used to that. I've been on this uphill, you know, exponential growth curve. And all of a sudden, whoa, like, I don't know how to handle this. So I kind of struggled through, did okay, I guess. But then a few years later, I had a couple of really bad years, like just all kinds of things went wrong. My wife got extremely ill. Uh, we didn't know why. We had, had her all over the country for different tests, trying to find out what was wrong with her. It turns out we had a toxic mold in our house. And this mold was making her extremely ill. It wasn't affecting me as much because I wasn't home a lot. But we just went through a series of bad things. You know, we had to move two or three times then because we had to abandon our house. And, uh, you know, I fell and broke three bones in my foot and our dog died. And I mean, I could go on, right? But all of a sudden, I'm faced with a lot of negative things and a lot of adversity. And my wife was always the positive influence. I was never a really... Uh, I was always a negative, kind of pessimistic kind of a person. and But she was the opposite. So she could always bring me out of it. Well, now she's ill. She's very sick. She's like thinking she's not going to live. So a combination of all this brought me to a point of, uh, I don't know, what's this all about? Like, I, you know, so what that I have money in a successful business? Like I'm miserable. So I think the low point um, was, you know, she at one point was getting a little better. And then she realized that I was a miserable person, which I was. And, you know, she was, didn't want to stay with me. And I said, well, I don't even want to stay with myself. I, I don't know what to do. Uh, 
So I think that was the day, and I went to her and said, well, you know, I'm contemplating just suicide. I don't want to be here anymore, and I don't really know what the purpose of all this is. What's all this pain and suffering for what? And uh, she suggested that I go see a person that helped her, who was this uh, Cherokee medicine woman. You know, and me being an engineer, I'm thinking, okay, I, you know, I don't know. What's she going to do for me? This is like, uh, but I had nothing to lose at that point. So I said, okay, I'll go see her. So I went in with very low expectations, you know, thinking this is not going to be of any help. And, you know, after I talked to her for a while, I said, well, what do I need to do? And she said, just be open. You know, I'm going to do a little ceremony. Just, just try to accept whatever. I'm like, okay, I can do that. That's easy enough. So, you know, she did this ceremony for maybe an hour. Well, I thought it was like 30 minutes. This was the weird part about it. But it was actually an hour and 40 minutes. Wow. You know? And so I don't really know. I mean, I guess it was in some kind of a meditative type state. She was playing drums, doing some chanting, things that didn't really, you know, didn't make sense to me. But uh, when I came out of there, I felt different. I felt happier. I was looking at the world differently. I was not on my phone. I'm driving back to work and I'm like, what is wrong with me? What just happened? <laughs> and I'm looking out the window at the blue sky and I'm like, wow, this is like really a beautiful day. And I'm like, wait a second. Like, <laughs> so that kind of, that was my aha moment. And what's weird is I think it was actually probably the low point one of the worst days of my life when I went in there but looking back it's probably one of the best days of my life because whatever happened there like sparked my curiosity into looking at the world differently and saying well wait a second what else don't I know so that, that's what kind of led my journey I guess out the other side yeah it's really interesting that you can't explain what happened. Um, do you have any theories? Yeah, you know, the a lot of stuff she said at the time didn't make any sense to me. And even like a few weeks later when I talked to her, you know, I said, thank you so much for, you know, helping me. And she said, well, I didn't do anything. You did it all. And... Now I understand that. At the time, I was like, no, you did something. But no, she just, for whatever reason, you know, I, uh, my own subconscious decided like, okay, I don't want to go on this way. I'm going to look at the world differently. So I don't know that she did anything. I think she's right. But it was something I couldn't have done on my own. I, could, I couldn't have just sat there by myself and said, okay, I'm going to look at the world differently from now on, right? When you're in the depths of depression it's hard to see anything other than your own misery so having faith in if you look at ancient people and not even ancient but current tribes that are out uh, they help their people with these elaborate ceremonies right they get the sick or injured person they have dancing music and well what are they doing it's a similar thing is what I think this person believes like the whole village is out there all these people are behind me. All these people are helping me. And they make themselves better. You know, if you follow someone like Dr. Joe Dispenza and the power of the mind, 
the power we have to heal ourselves, to make ourselves better. So now I believe that's what she did is gave, you know, I, I had this faith somehow in my subconscious in her that she could do something, but I actually did it for myself. Yeah, it's uh, when I hear you talking about this, I what <clears throat> excuse me. Um, what occurs to me, David, is that um, it, it's a ref what happened to you is a reflection of the fact that we all have deep down the ability to choose alternative futures. Alternate, we have choice, and the power of that choice is amazing. And even and it sounds like what all she was doing was exactly as you said, providing a context for you yourself to have that deep choice come through and manifest. I mean, when you think about it, I mean, you 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 chose to look at the, the world a different. You came out of it and you you were seeing things in a different way. Now, who did that? I mean, it's not like someone tampered with you and got into your head and gave you a you know. It was you, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, I thought at the time it was her. This is like something magical, right? I mean, whatever she did. But now, uh, I mean, she was right. But she still is that conduit. She, you know, I, and I think that's why someone like that can help you. And maybe it's, I, I don't know, it was more instantaneous. I know people who go to psychotherapy and they go for years and they try to work their way out of things. But, uh, I mean, this was kind of, it was kind of miraculous at the time but I think it was a similar thing but I think you can make that change yourself if you decide to uh, whereas if you're talking with somebody an hour or two a week for years it's it's not really your decision it's a different thing and I think it, it could take longer that way but well I can I suggest that it's very interesting what you're saying because can I suggest that that approach of you know being on the psychologist, uh, what do you call it, couch, um, is that you're actually putting yourself uh, in someone else's hand. You're saying, I am waiting to be healed. I am waiting to have my problems solved because he or she is going to solve my problems for me. The psychoanalyst, the psychologist, the whoever. Right. And I think that this is very interesting because I think uh, a lot of people, when they, they really hit the shit in their lives, they, they're not aware of the fact they do, they can make a choice to get out of it. And this is where other people come in because left to your own device, a lot of people think I'm, I'm screwed, you know, I'm done. I can't see a way out and something has got to happen to help me. But it, they think of it in terms of other externalities helping them. You know what I mean? Right. Rather, right. rather than, no, wait a minute. I actually have the power to choose here. I can get out of this. And it's fascinating, uh, and that's why I think what your, what your life is an example about and what you've chosen to do from that experience is so helpful to people so that you can encourage and inspire them that they can do the same thing when they're in the midst of desperation and darkness. I mean, you know. So, um, and, and, and you also talk about, when you're in that state, David, you talk about um, the importance of having a purpose and a passion. Because it sounded like you, you'd lost all all of that or if you had a purpose in the first place was well, just to make money yeah that was really my only purpose and you know how did i get there i don't know when you're a kid if you look back i mean i think every kid dreams of something right if you ask a 
uh, an eight-year-old, what do you want to be when you grow up? They've got something, you know. Uh, I want to be a ballerina. I want to be an astronaut. I wanted to be an astronaut. I mean, 1969, landing on the moon, right? This is the greatest thing ever that we can actually go to the moon. And I always had a telescope. Uh, I was always interested in astronomy. And that was my passion as a, as a child. And I think everyone had something like that, but it, it was lost somehow. And I remember wanting to go uh, into college and t go to astronomy, take astronomy. And uh, teachers, a lot of friends said, well, you don't want to do that. You're never going to make any money at that. You're going to be waiting for research grants. And, you know, it's, it's not a good life, okay? So that's where my passion got hijacked. And I didn't realize it at the time, but, you know, so I went into something at least technical, but civil engineering, building roads and dams and bridges, you know, about as boring as you can get as compared to looking at the universe and possibilities and what's out there and where did we come from. And so those, those kinds of uh, subjects were my passion, but I kind of lost it. Yeah, and uh, a lot of people, are, I think, uh, find themselves on the same boat, um, especially when you're young and your parents in particular might say, oh, no, you can't do that. You're not going to make any money in that. <laughs> I remember when um, I, I was on the running Peckham Adventure Playground after I left university, really slum area of London and working with criminal youth and so on. And uh, my dad said to me, son, what are you doing? I mean, you could earn four times as much as in advertising. <laughs> I thought, you think I really would want to do advertising? <laughs> oh, actually, even a better example is my grandfather, who had a, he built up from nothing and built a civil engineering company, had buildings all over London with his name on it, on them. And uh, he actually offered me to join the business. I had the chance, he was a multimillionaire. I would have made gazillions. But even then, thank God, I realized that, was I interested in construction? <laughs> I was more interested in Jimi Hendrix than bloody building, <laughs> you know, putting buildings up. Anyway, I'm sidetracking. But uh, yeah, so, so, but now you, you have, um, I remember you, you made a statement to me, you said that, uh, if you do something that you're passionate about and find a way to help others, it'll never feel like work. And that really struck me that how, you know, and you, you went on and said, you're, if you're providing value to others by helping them, the money will come to you. I love those two, two uh, statements. Um, can you elaborate on, I mean, how, do you think now that that's been a shift since you had this realization or, or, moment for you yeah for sure you know and i think people around me before when you're in the when you're in the business and you're running a company it's a fairly lonely place i mean you're trying not to make real good friends with all your employees because you don't know what's going to happen from one day to the next and you know you're the one that's working seven days a week to fix everything and uh, and then, so when it's going well, you can push through that. When it's going poorly, you, you don't have anyone to go to. You, you just really feel alone in the world. And you're like, I've created this mess. I've created this problem. I got to figure my way out. 
And at some point I was so wrapped up in my own head, I could, it wasn't that I didn't care about anyone else, but I really didn't have any mental ability to do that. I was so wrapped up in my own problems and my own thoughts. I couldn't, if you were telling me you had a problem, I probably wasn't listening very well. I was just tuning you out because in my head, I was like thinking about my problems. So, I mean, I think that's part of what my journey has been is to, um, I do a lot of meditation, you know, I found ways to get those thoughts out of there, to not be obsessing over the past so that I can be in the present and planning for the future and have some passion. And all of a sudden, like, I care about other people. I have time to care. I have, like, the mental reserve to be able to go, okay, I want to listen to your problem. Can I help you? And sometimes I think, like, is that really me? Like, it doesn't even feel, I feel like a different person. And the sa I never had that satisfaction in my life of helping others, you know, not expecting anything in return, just helping others. And you do help them some way. And the, the satisfaction you get, the feeling you get, is just wonderful. It's really life-giving, isn't it? And I think, um, you know, I'd, I'd add to what you're saying. I think that when, you, when you're in, the, in, the, in your worst times, all you can think about is what's in your head and, and your own problems and your own issues. The act of giving is hardest then, perhaps, to break through that. But it's when you put your focus on other people, reach out to them and, and connect and give uh, and help others, that's when you get out of your own head. You know, you get out of your own little world of, of self-obsession. And, and, and as you said, it's so liberating, isn't it? I mean, gosh. And suddenly you do have time for people. Um, I, I, I can relate to what you say about, you know, someone tells you a problem, <laughs> you, can't even, you, don't, you can't even hear it because all that's going on is, Oh God, how am I going to meet the budget, uh, you know, this month or how am I going to pay the, the employees or, you know, and that's going through your head. And so someone just said, I'm in trouble. I'm really, you know, I'm really sick. Well, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, um, <laughs> it's like, well, those people can't help you because the majority of them have the same issues. You know, I mean, so much, uh, so many people I think are in this same situation. They don't want to, admit it because uh, I don't know social media no one tells you that they're depressed or they have prob financial problems mm -hmm. they're showing you their wonderful life and their wonderful family and their wonderful vacation and their wonderful dinner I'm like wait a second it's not all wonderful and I think that makes so many other people feel like wow look it's me you know, they're all having a wonderful life and I'm the one that has some kind of pain and suffering, things I'm trying to get over, things I don't know how to fix. So we don't talk to each other. We don't, uh, we don't say, and when you start to open up to people and tell them, it's amazing when I tell people like the problems I was going through when I was all depressed, they're like, you, really? And then they tell me all this stuff and I'm like, hey, like, why, did, why aren't we all doing this? Why aren't we all connecting more and helping each other out instead of, you know, building these fake walls around us that our lives are wonderful? And, and you know, when you look right now at the whole world, I mean, drug abuse, uh, alcoholism, suicide, 
they're all massive problems. And, you know, at least in my opinion, that's one of the reasons we're, we're not helping each other out. We're not connecting with each other and saying, hey, I've been there, you know, you know, tell me what's going on. Brilliant. I love what you're saying, David. I really do. And I think, um, I think there's a lot of, a uh, lot to be learned from what you're saying. And I'm, I'm wondering also, um, has this affected how you are in your business and with your people at work? Or do you think it will in the future more? Yeah, it's affected a lot. I mean, I'm bringing some of my new thinking and philosophies in. We're doing some training, uh, teaching people uh, how to relieve their anxiety, how to work with people better. We've had some training for our managers. And uh, what's interesting is they're – you know, there are several people in the company that I never got along with really well and always kind of had issues with. And then I realized, well, it's my problem, right? And when I've looked at it differently and realized, okay, I understand why you're the way you are. You, you're suffering from some kinds of problems. You've got financial problems. You've got personal relationship problems. And when I've made some connections with those people, it's turned around and it's like almost shocking to me because I'm like, how was I blind so long to understanding this? Because it seems so simple, but I, you know, I, I didn't. So yes, it's definitely uh, had some positive impacts. And now, um, uh, for example, like we had a problem with our bank and a bank's pulling our credit line and I've got to find a new bank. Well, in the past I would have been, Oh, another problem, another, you know, disaster and now I got to and I just my I thought that for about 30 seconds when the, the banker said it and then I, I said to myself no something good's gonna come out of this okay and so what it's taken me down this path is well do I need that bank loan you know I, I think maybe I could go acquire some companies and I could borrow private equity funds or get like like I can make this bigger I can do, it's kind of, it's just bizarre almost still to me because it hasn't been that long. But by flipping problems around and going, okay, something good will come out of it. And thinking that way, I've had several opportunities already that are opening up that I would have never thought of had the bank not said you need to do something else. <laughs> That's brilliant, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So. Well, uh so, so what, what habits or practices, um, especially any that you do regularly, help you to be successful? I think you've got quite a few different, uh, quite an amazing array of things that you do. Can you, because the audience will be interested in, in uh, there you are, you're running a successful business and um, you've, you've, you've transformed yourself. Um, so what, what do you do now to sort of maintain and sustain yourself? Well, through most of my life, I did. I had the same routine. I, I would get up at six o'clock, leave for work at six thirty. I mean, as soon as I would wake up, I would check my phone, check my email, look at what the problems were for the day. Right, get sucked into the business world immediately. And so, as soon as you read that bad email, that there, well, emails aren't good, right? I mean, how many emails? One in a hundred is something wonderful, and the others are like some problem, somebody needs information, something they're in general, they're not positive in your life. So 
when I started the day with that, that was my day. Like, all right, I hate to look at this, but let's see what happened overnight in China. Let's see what, what's broken, you know? So now I, so I always came to work at 6.30 for my whole life. I don't know, 30, 40 years. Um, now I come to work at about 8.30. So I spend about 90 minutes in the morning. I don't look at my phone at all. Um, I start out the day uh, with, I, I do a practice called inner engineering and it's, uh, there's an Indian guru that teaches this. Uh, his name's Sadhguru. If anybody's, he's just an awesome guy. He is. I know him. He's, well, not personally, but yeah, he's brilliant. Yeah. His wisdom and stuff is some of the things that help me look at the world differently. You know, and I think the, the people in the East just have a different way of looking at the world than we do in the West. And uh, so anyways, it's a little practice of uh, some arm meditation, there's some little yoga kinds of moves, there's some breathing exercises, slow breathing, rapid breathing, and then I do a meditation, uh, about 20, 30 minutes of meditation, and when I come out of that meditation, I, I use this flow state, because you know when you come out of meditation, you've kind of blanked your mind out you've got all the thoughts out of there and it's that perfect place to now be creative so I think about my day what do I want to accomplish today what's one or two things that I want to, that I really have to do I don't make this huge list so the things are like what's important to the business or me five years from now the future bigger ideas and then I go okay boy if that's where I'm going I need to do this today whatever that is. And then throughout the day, I can accomplish at least that one thing and I feel like the day was a success. So I'm kind of setting my day up to be successful, not look at my emails and go, okay, there's a hundred emails overnight. This is going to be an awful day. So that's helped me a lot. And then I'll, then I lift weights for about 15 or 20 minutes, nothing real, you know, real strenuous, but just some uh, working out on a weight machine. And then I take a, I, I do a lot of supplements. So wh what I've done is like by following so many researchers in different areas, like if I listen to uh, somebody who's a brain expert on brain health and he says the best brain scans I've ever seen are people who are taking ginkgo every day, I'm like, okay, I'm taking that every day. So I've kind of developed my uh, – nutrition and supplement plan based on all these experts so i've got i don't know 20 or 30 things i take and they're you know i've made a huge difference it, mentally physically energy like i don't need as much sleep it's just really yeah like if uh dave asprey a bulletproof guy bulletproof uh, list <laughs> if you follow I can get I can provide you a list of the people that I you know that I think I've gotten some really good advice from and a list of uh, if you want to post it in your notes yeah. and uh, kind of the supplements and stuff that I take that you know have worked for me that would be great yes I've heard that ginkgo is good for the memory ginkgo biloba I think uh, a lot of us tend to suffer from uh, memory loss these days and you know especially people when they're stressed out uh, suffer from memory loss short term anyway um, well that's great so you do uh, gosh all that stuff so the combination of that I must say it sounds like a 
a cocktail for success. Um, and I love the idea of not looking at your phone in the morning or not looking at your emails, but starting the day with, with in a totally different way. That's brilliant. Um, so what, what are your sort of goals and aspirations for the next few years? Well, I've started this podcast. Uh, it's called Evolution Network. And, you know, the tagline is uh, skills to develop the future you desire. So what I want to try to do is take this information I've learned and try to help other people, teach other people like, you know, because a lot you bring up the word meditation to a lot of people and they're like, oh, I don't know, that sounds like something silly. I don't want it, right? But then uh, I don't know if you follow Tim Ferriss, like he interviews like uh, uh, successful high performance people and on his podcast and he's interviewed like 700 different people and he just wrote a book and he said, uh, somebody asked him, well, what's the number one thing that you find that's in common with all these successful individuals? He said, well, they all meditate. Okay, really? so it should be like ding, ding. Why, why are people resistant to it? Because the word brings up, I don't know, uh, Hindus, Eastern religions, some kind. No, it's just like, it's just a way to clear your mind, to get in a state where you can think better and... So when, when he's saying all the high-performance, successful people do this, you're like, well, okay, why isn't everybody doing it, you know? Well, that's amazing. I, I'm, I've got a big question for you, and it's a very selfish, personal question. Um, I've tried different forms of meditation over my life. And uh, the, trouble, the biggest problem with me in meditation is that I tend to fall asleep very quickly. It's, is there any solution to that? Well, I, I, if you do it later in the day, yes, when you're tired, I had that problem too. But the first thing in the morning is way better for me because you just wake up, you're not ready to fall back asleep, right? Because it is, it's putting you in a very relaxed state. You know, you're going down into, uh, you know, you're turning off alpha, beta, brain waves, you're getting into theta uh, in your subconscious, maybe you're going even a little deeper into gamma, uh, if you're doing TM meditation, but you're right. It's such a relaxed state that if you're tired at all, you know, you can fall asleep. Maybe, uh, maybe I've just been too tired throughout my life. <laughs> but, but, uh, but thanks for the encouragement and it makes sense. Um, I'll, I'll try doing it in the morning. Oh, I just said it, didn't I? I'll try. I just said I was going to try to do it. Actually, well, I have to say, I, I feel bad about saying that because I was taught uh, years ago by my own spiritual mentor, I call Robert, that the, the difference between trying and doing, and you know, trying is a noble way of failing. Um, if you try to do something, um, he once had this exercise where uh, he threw a pen on the ground and he said, okay, Michael, try to pick it up. So of course I picked it up. And he said, no, 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 try to pick it up. Well, again, I picked the pen up off the floor. He said, look, I want you to really try to pick the pen up. And I finally got it. And I, you know, I role played, I uh, can't pick it up. And he said, that's trying. Now pick it up. Totally different. Um, anyway, I'm sidetracking. Uh, I think that's a really uh, cool point, that trying. I try to leave that trying word out of my vocabulary. I'm either doing this or not, right? 
And I would say that about lifting weights. I really don't like to do it. I used to say that all the time. I don't like to do it. I don't want to do it. I'm going to try to do it every day. Okay. And when you change that language and you say, no, this is what I do every day. And, you know, and another thing that's helped me a lot is try to do stuff like a little bit at a time. Okay. Like if you're not working out, when I first, uh, after I'd broke my foot, I kind of got out of shape and wasn't working out. And I was just this huge wall, like, I don't want to do it. I don't like it. So I, when I changed my mindset and I said, okay, I'm going to lift weights every day. And I'm going to start out with five minutes. And that's what I did the first day. And I'm like, well, how can you, how can I not do five minutes of anything, right? I don't care how awful it is, five minutes. So I said, I'm going to do five minutes and I'm going to add one minute a day. And that was a plan that I could do. I said, okay, five minutes. Phew, that was easy. It's done. And the next day it was six and the next day it was seven. And then I'm up to 20 minutes and I'm like, okay, that's all I really need to do. So rather than facing that big thing about, you know, are people saying like, I'm going to cut sugar out of my diet. Okay. That's going to be almost impossible if you're eating a lot of sugar and tomorrow you say, I'm not eating any, you know, your body's going to revolt. You're going to say, I can't do this. But if you can reduce it 1% a day, right? In a few months, it'll be gone. So at least for me, I, I kind of, you know, it's the old joke about, you know, how to eat an elephant one bite at a time is kind of uh, works for me. Yeah, no, no, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so um, the um, leading question, we're sort of going to be wrapping up soon here. The leading question I have for you, David, is, and by the way, your advice, I think, is excellent, but hopefully people are maybe even making, making notes, you know, it's possible, but certainly mental notes of some of the things you're saying here. Um, what, based on your own journey, what, you know, all that you've been through, you know, you went through this life-changing experience based, and, and a life prior to that that was not really fulfilling, uh, and in fact, you got to the point where you really didn't even want to live anymore. And so you transformed yourself. Um, what are the one or two most important pieces of advice that you'd like to share with the audience? Well, I would say try to find that passion because that's what's going to fulfill you in life. That's what's going to, you know, and you, you, I'm not saying you have to quit your job. Like, but, you know, what do you do when you go home if you're watching TV and, you know, doing nothing? Like, use that time to do something you're interested in. Get something, you know, it, most people have some kind of a hobby. Well, that's probably a passion. Like, do more of that, whatever it is. If you like to take photographs, say, okay, I'm going to go out one day a week and take photographs for an hour or two and, uh, eventually you'll have a lot of good photographs and you'll do something with them. You'll go, Hey, why don't I post these on a Shutterstock or, you know, somewhere I can sell them or, so don't try to think like, well, how am I going to make money at this? Just do something that gives you joy, that gives you pleasure. And maybe it's just spending more time with your family. Maybe it's working on your relationships with your spouse, your children, you know, that's, if that's a passion, and you enjoy that and like do that just just do something you know <laughs> okay that's i like your advice um uh, you made me think about uh uh the, the, when i had my uh, sort of 
transformate one of my transformational experiences, how I realized that I had two passions that had been there for, for decades. And one was when I was a teenager, teenager and I used to um, improvise spoken word pieces over recorded music in my parents' house up in my bedroom. And then I found myself about 33 years later, at the age of 50, um, the lights go up and there I am in front of a large packed house in a music club, uh, chanting a Hindu, doing a Hindu chant, while my friend Justice is there on keyboards, taking us into a techno beat. And, you know, doing this song called wow. Revolutionary. And, uh, you know, and then going back into the green room afterwards and all these groupies coming in. <laughs> so, but, you know, but that was a dream that was on hold for 33 years. And I actually finally realized it. Similarly with cricket, I didn't play for 27 years. And then suddenly, again at the age of 50, I thought, well, maybe I've still got it. Maybe I have. And I tried it out. And when I hit that Australian, and by the way, Brits will understand how satisfying that must have been when I say Australian fast bowler. Uh, but when I hit that Australian fast bowler over the trees, like we're talking about a 500-foot home run. The wow. In cricket. Um, I, I realized, oh, my God, I can still do it. You know, and what a thrill. Those dreams. So I, I totally relate to what you're saying about what you're passionate about, the things that you've put on hold or, I mean, it, it's life-giving, isn't it, really? Yeah. You know, and another thing that I try to do that I never did before that really helps me a lot is, you know, we're all dying. Every, you, know, get, you don't get the last second back. It's over, right? So we're all eventually going to be on the deathbed someday. And, you know, if you ask people, well, what do you think of your life? What, what do you wish you had accomplished? What would be different? Like no one is going to say, I wished I had earned more money right? I wished I had worked harder. Like it's not going to matter in the end. And I was stuck, stuck into that, like thinking that, oh, money is everything. And I don't know how much was enough, probably nothing. I would always been, oh, I could make more, I could make more. But if you think back, what do people are going to say is like, oh, I wished I had spent more time with my family. I wish I had closer personal relationships with friends or coworkers or uh, I wish I had contributed more. I wish I had helped other people. I wish I had given my knowledge to others. So it, it, that for me helps me stay on track. Like when I get to that point someday, uh, I want to say that. And I want to say, oh, and I also experienced everything I could. You know, I didn't get stuck in this trap of, okay, I go to work and I come home and I look forward to the weekend and okay, well, what do I want to experience? Like now I want to experience all kinds of things. Like I want to fly an airplane. You know, I want to bungee jump. I want to, why not? Right? I mean, those are the things, like what you want is that last day on your deathbed to say, I wouldn't change anything. I don't have any regrets. I tried everything. So that's kind of the way I'm thinking now going forward. Yippee. Fantastic. <laughs> I, uh, brilliant, brilliant, David. I love it. So uh, we're going to wrap up now, and I'd like everyone to know how to hear and see your work. So you have a podcast series called e The Evolution Network. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Okay. 
Um, so you can probably, the best way would be to go to my uh, Facebook page. It's David Mudrick, M-U-D-R-I-C-K. And there's a link there to the podcast episodes. Uh, I've, all, I've got a following also on Instagram and a little bit on Twitter, but Facebook right now is probably uh, the best place to follow me. And, and I send out some thought-provoking, inspirational kinds of questions every day to get people kind of thinking about uh, some of the things that I've learned. Okay, good. And so that's where people can find you. Da the, the, the Facebook page is called? Uh, David Mudrick. David Mudrick. Okay, great. All right. Well, uh, David, um, thank you very much indeed. Um, and uh, I'm sure you've given a huge amount of advice to a lot of people here uh, on the show. Um, and I look forward to seeing you at some point in the future. In fact, not far off. Well, thank you, Michael. It's been a pleasure being on your show and uh, good luck to you and your podcast too. Thank you very much, David. Take care. Bye-bye. All right. Bye.